Welcome to Roadcase, the podcast that explores the live music experience. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Josh Rosenberg, and I'll be taking you on a journey through in-depth interviews with performers and key people in the industry to explore the magic of live music, how it can be totally transformative for both fans and performers, and we'll look at how they take it all out on the road. It's going to be a great ride, so here we go. Okay, welcome back to Roadcase, everybody. This is your host, Josh Rosenberg. This is Roadcase, and I am so psyched to be here and glad that you're all along for this ride. Uh, really happy to be delving back into long-form interviews for this fall season and into early next year when I'll hit the festival circuit again with live in-person interviews, but really happy to sit down and be able to chat with artists for quite a while. Uh, and be able to bring those amazing conversations to you. And today is no exception. I spoke with Justin Osborne of Susto, just an amazing guy, great story. This is a great conversation. As I like to do during every uh, intro, I want to remind everybody that there's a number of different ways that you can follow Roadcase and be part of the Roadcase community. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at Roadcase Pod. Uh, really helps to give a follow there. Uh, we're posting audio clips from all these interviews in a preview post so you can find out who's coming up on the show. So it's a really great way to keep in touch with Roadcase. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can also email me. I'm at info at roadcasepod.com. We have a newly designed website that I'm really proud of. You can find us on www.roadcasepod.com. Go there, uh, check it out. You can see some new pictures. Uh, we posted a tons of interviews up on that website so you can find out more about all your favorite guests that have been on the show and maybe some episodes that you missed along the way. Uh, another great way to support Roadcase is to sub subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. If you're on Spotify, uh, there's a little box that says follow. It's right at the Roadcase homepage. Just click on that on Apple Podcasts. Click on the uh, the check mark up in the upper right hand corner. Doing that on those platforms and other platforms will allow you to receive updates when new episodes come live. And just to be a follower of Roadcase really helps out the show too. So I appreciate you doing that. And while you're there, if you can rate and review Roadcase as well, super helpful uh, on Spotify underneath that follow box. There's a box with a check mark is as easy as clicking on that on apple Podcasts. scroll up a little bit on the roadcase homepage there on apple Podcasts, and there's this place where you can write a review and hit a bunch of stars uh to rate the podcast so thanks in advance for doing that i'm so glad to have you along with me for this really special episode so I've got uh, Justin Osborne of the band Susto. Uh, their new fifth album is out. It's entitled My Entire Life. I absolutely love this album. Just melodic, beautiful, kind of jammy, alt-folk, country rock. It's just really spectacular. I absolutely love it. And Justin's just a really great guy. We had met previously back late in 2018. Uh uh, after his uh, first headlining show at Lincoln Hall here in Chicago, Justin grew up in, in uh, South Carolina and was very much part of the DIY scene there. Uh, he came up in an evangelical Christian upbringing, and some of those themes continue to work themselves into his own songs, but not in a heavy-handed way, really, as just a reference point for him. He's totally secular now, but 
the relationship with his family have been affected by this belief system, which is now not his belief system. I just want to make that clear. Uh, but he's also been affected by uh, drug use in his own family. Uh, two of his siblings have uh, really struggled with that, and it's been really tough along the way for Justin. But He's in a new place now, and uh, this latest amazing album is out there, and he's out there singing for his fans some of these very personal songs, as he has always done throughout his career. I recently saw him at Lincoln Hall here in Chicago for a Halloween show, and Justin was just in fine form. Uh, he's just up, up there being honest, vulnerable, funny, conversational, just super personal. He makes every room that he plays feel small and Everybody in that room was hanging on his every word. Uh, it was just absolutely wonderful. He's a terrific human. Like I said, smart, funny, he's chatty. We just had a terrific conversation, and I know that you're going to love that. They have some East Coast dates left in the in November. Uh, then there's a brief leg in December uh, when they go to the Mid-Atlantic states, uh, North Carolina. They'll be in D.C., Virginia, and then they're ending that stint in Charleston and Asheville. And they're playing a New Year's Eve show in Raleigh with Big Something. You can go to Susto's website to check out more information about their tour dates. Thanks again for being here for this special episode. Uh, so glad that you're along for this one. And I want to send a special thank you to my friend, Justin Osborne, for being here on this episode of Roadcase. And here we go. Hey, Justin, good to see you, brother. Thanks for being on Roadcase, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so good to see you. Um, so you told me you were, you're in Austin now. Yeah, I moved to Austin a few months ago. My wife's from here, so we, uh, it made sense for us to sort of relocate. Yeah, so many changes said, going on. I just got to add that to the bullet points of shit going on yeah. with Justin Osborne. Add mo Okay, moving. Now, <laughs> he moved. Yeah. I mean, how much more can you pile on, dude? Yeah, we uh we like to keep it interesting around here, you know. So, Clearly, uh, <laughs> <laughs> was that like a big step for? I mean, there's so much going on. I want to talk about the new album, My Entire Life. It's just absolutely stunning. You're an amazing songwriter and just and poet, dude. <laughs> I mean, I was sent a uh, the whole. I love when publicists send lyric sheets. You know, it's like pay attention yeah. to this. Shit. I'm glad they do that. <laughs> yeah, they're like pay attention to this shit because this guy's good and it reads like a beautiful book of poetry, man. Oh, thank you, Josh. I appreciate that, man. It's, I, uh, you're, you're more than welcome, Justin. It's, it's really, it's great stuff. Well, it's like, you know, there's, uh, for me, like the lyrics have always been sort of like my main, I guess, contribution other than just like being a band leader and figuring out logistics and that sort of thing, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, so it's important to me and like, I don't know, especially on this record, but really on all of our records, I really feel like I'm kind of putting myself out there and, um, just like putting my my life on display yeah. like the lyrics and so uh you know it, it means a lot when people sort of like take the time to read them <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, yeah i mean do you think there's more there's more shit going on it's is it more so personal now than it ever has been because it's always seems to be that's kind of your focus that's your vibe man you're like i'm gonna got a personal story it's amazing it's part of my life and i'm gonna i'm gonna put it i'm gonna put myself out there yeah, I think, um, I mean, from the beginning, like it was sort of the ethos with Susto was like, okay, let's sort of like try and really be um, 
vulnerable here and like talk about like the stuff that maybe in my past bands, like I had been afraid to touch on or whatever. And, mm. and so I think the honesty has been there from the beginning because it's sort of like, it's a part of the process, you know? Um, but I think like my life as my life has just progressed and like, I just happened to enter a part of my life that was the culmination of a lot of different things. And like, it was just a lot happening at once really like the last like four years for me have been, you know, a lot, uh, and everybody goes through stuff all the time, but like, so I don't, I don't, I just, it's just to say, like, I don't know that I'm necessarily being more honest or more candid. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like, there's a little bit more to talk about. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe I didn't understand that correctly, but you, it appears that, well, early on you were, you said, maybe I was afraid to touch on certain things. Um, yeah, has that like, become like, talk to me about kind of that, um, that sort of evolution that's occurred as a, like, cause it, it's, it's, it's gotta be also sort of a personal evolution as well to feel like you can put certain things out there. Does that come with kind of getting your arms around your shit more as everyone does, as they grow older, as they evolve as a human, you kind of gather your shit in as Matt Berninger of the national said, you know? Um, yeah. and then it becomes, talking about it in a more open way or understanding it a little bit better. What's that evolution look like for you? Yeah, I think like, well, for me, like, I think the quote, maybe you're referencing when I said I was afraid to touch on stuff is kind of me referencing before Susto because like, ah, okay. With, I, um, what was I, the name of the, the band was, uh, um, it was called Sequoia prep school. It was like a band I was in. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. My twenties pretty much. Yeah. Or I listened I'm, to it a little bit. I liked it. But, um, I, I think like the, the the ethos like i mentioned has been to try and unpack stuff as it happens because i started like realizing that you know there was just stuff going through my life and i wasn't really working through it with songwriting and songwriting is sort of like part of personal you know my personal sort of like therapy yeah Um, but like i think uh yeah, like my life has just changed a lot and mm. I, I've grown as, grown as a songwriter and and also like through some of the earlier Susto records because Susto's, this is our fifth record. So like I I put some of this similar type stuff on the line before and I kind of learned the good and bad mm-hmm. consequences of that, you know, and on the one hand, there's a lot of people that sort of relate to it and uh, and it resonates with them. And so they sort of latch onto the music and become like really deeply i think connected to the band yeah Uh, but at the same time like you know it caused strain on some of my relationships and stuff being that candid about what was going on (laughs) there is um, fault there can be fallout you know like and so i learned sort of i learned from it in different ways and so like whenever everything went on with me that's happened in the last like a couple years like i i went through a divorce i lost my dad i like mm. i lost some bandmates you know like after the pandemic um yeah. i became a parent like you know and that was a big part of navigating my divorce too was you know we had a daughter together yeah then also like you know d- decided to, to to charge on with my life and i found new love and i decided to like just try and sort of let myself start over you know mm. and uh that was just a lot you know like that was oh, yeah. It, it, hell yeah it, and, God. and so but I, but I was able to use some of the lessons that i've learned with writing and sharing through music like over the last few years 
to help me sort of like distill all that into to the music. And also like I was leaning a lot on my collaborators because I mean, I'm a, I'm definitely the primary songwriter with Susto and the narrative is sort of mine, but um, you know, in the studio and creatively, like I, I lean on a lot of people that I've been leaning on for years. And like, I'm lucky to have these relationships that are like more than just professional, you know, these are like my, my family. Yeah. Um, and that was crucial for me. I don't know if I would have one been able to sort of like navigate all that, you know, personal drama without those people in my life, but also like, I don't know if I would have been able to sort of like translate it into a record the way we did, like without them, because they, you know, they, they saw what was happening. They were intimately connected to everything personally going on in my life. Um, but also like there to help, help me sort of tell the story and like be a part of that. Um, so you got a, you so got a great, you got a great support system. It sounds like, and they keep, they, yeah. they kind of like keep you grounded. And, uh, are there times when you're just going off with just so much stuff you bring them like do you ever bring them like crazy fucking shit and they're like dude you gotta like to maybe like tone the take this down a notch maybe honestly no they're like they're they're it's kind of like the other way around like they'll know what's going on in my life and oh, i'll be like, like where is that i'll tend, I'll tend, I'll tend towards the shyness or whatever about it and they'll be like no bro you gotta tell them you gotta oh, tell them like okay, okay so it's a constant and, and it sounds like not a constant struggle but it's constant work to find what that pocket is for you yeah yeah because there's definitely like a sweet spot too you don't want to like overdo it with the like sort of confessionalism either because it's like at the end of the day like we're not trying to write songs it's just some sort of like um you know document yeah yeah for, yeah it's for, still you still like the, there's a musical feel where there's got to be a whimsical nature to it all right. almost. And, and there's got to be a takeaway right yeah. like what's the message like what's the what did i learn like what was the point of all this and like I think that's kind of where the music comes in. It's like helping to like uh, look at what's happened and sort of find your own understanding about it, like through the song. And then like, and you know, also like people take music and like they, they're going through their stuff, you know, like they're going through what's personal to them. And that song needs to be able to like, to be fluid enough to, 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 to work in all scenarios. Right. Like that's how we find the connection with each other is like, cause our, None of our experiences are exactly the same, but there's definitely similarities. And I feel like, you know, that's a line I want to walk and try to walk with the songs is like putting enough of my personal experience in there, but also keeping it um, universal enough to where like, you know, it's not like, yeah, it's not just me, right? It's about right. the, the experience. Kind of getting like, think, think, keeping the big picture in mind and making it, exactly. you are still a yeah. songwriter and you do want to um you know have a level of broad appeal not maybe broad i don't know appeal to 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 your fans and make something that's enjoyable and digestible at least from a from a musical standpoint and just i mean there's room for completely going off in a radical direction yeah. for sure but sometimes we do you know yeah, like I definitely yeah. let ourselves do that sometimes but it's like yeah like to me i think what i've learned from doing this like you know like as long as I've been doing it, writing songs, performing songs, it's like, to me, it's become way more about like the group and the connection. And it's not like mass appeal. Isn't what I would, how I would describe it, but like, just like remembering that, like, I'm not alone. Right. There's like, yeah. And even now in this narrative, they're like, you know, we have people who are following along people who feel like they have a, a stake in it and a connection to it. And it's like, 
and hopefully there's more of those people out there too. They'll come in along the way. And it's just like, um, yeah, keeping, I, I sound like we write or record, like thinking about like, how can we make, you know, well, I didn't say mass appeal though. Fans. I said broad appeal. If you, were, you said broad appeal, broad, no, broader, I, I say, or, yeah. I'm not, I'm not correcting you. I'm just, I was, uh, editing myself. Yeah. I was speaking. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like I, you know, as much as it's personal and we like very much rely on our own tastes, we, uh, you know, we do keep the, the, like everyone else in, in mind because it's like we make music for community, right? It's like not just like to, to make it and hold on to it ourselves, you know, it's like, so I don't even know how we got down there, but. Well, um, it, was, it was about the nature of, of, of your own relationship to your own music and what the, so much going on and how personal it is and you know, what that, what that beautiful poetry means to you. And, and clearly it yeah. means a lot to the fans as well. I'm sorry to hear about your dad, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It was, uh, that's tough, man. Know, so much happened. Yeah. Shit. My, my, I think my dad passed okay. away a couple of years ago during, uh, during the pandemic. And yeah, I wasn't necessarily incredibly close to him in these later years, but yeah, it's yeah, it was the same for me. It's like, honestly, the pandemic kind of gave me a, like a, because I wasn't touring whenever he passed, like I, got to, we'd kind of not spent much time together in his later years because, you know, I'd been out trying to do this yeah. and like he was doing his thing, but we got like some good days. Sorry. My cat is going to be over there. Like, oh, that's okay. I yeah, got, but, I got my um, dog. He's very used to, uh, he's right. You can see him sleeping back there. He's very, oh, yeah, he's, he's, he's the only one that's been present for every single interview besides me. There you go. Yeah. But yeah, man, you know, losing a parent's never easy, but it's uh it's something you grow from. And I um I'm just grateful for the time I had with my dad. Like we were we were, you know, we had a good relationship. We were like you, you know, I think a lot of people can grow away from their parents and you know, as you get older. And um, but I'm I'm I thankfully got like some good time with him right towards the end. And I think that really kind of helped the transition, if that makes sense, you know, yeah. having that like getting to say goodbye and yeah, all yeah. I I've had that. How tough was it to move to Austin? It seems that the, 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 the South Carolina vibe is such a part of your ethos growing mm. up there, staying there, performing there, having roots there, recording in the area. Um, yeah, was it, was it know, so hard I, to imagine yourself being like that? Now, well, now you're, now you're in Austin. How much does that play a part into your own thinking and vibe? Well, it's funny because like, I still am very, I feel, I consider myself like the, um, the South Carolinian ambassador to Austin, pretty much. <laughs> right. uh, you know, it's like, like an American when you go abroad. I, I feel right, like. <laughs> exactly. You know, but like, and and I'm because I very much like, yeah, it's a huge part of my identity. Like growing up in South Carolina, like rural South Carolina, and then you know moving to Charleston and starting my band there, right. and being a part of the music community, like the kind of DIY music community in South Carolina is mm -hmm. a big. You're a big part. You were a big part of that. My existence, you know, I I I, I feel very connected to it, and. Um, and so like, you know, the moves, like I, <clears throat> I had moved to Asheville, North Carolina, which is barely outside of South Carolina, like yeah, uh, a couple of years ago, like whenever Sorry, I'm kind of lumping that together. No, no, it's, <laughs> it's fun. I mean, I, I kind of don't mind the chance to sort of like shed a little light on it because yeah. I mean, um, you know, I went through a divorce and, you know, my, my ex and I had like lived in Charleston together for a while. And um, she ended up moving to Columbia, South Carolina. And so whenever, you know, she left town, I was like, you know, I want to be stay like 
pretty close to my daughter, especially like in these, like, you know, those early days of all this. Oh, so yeah. like a good place, but I also, I needed to get out of Charleston. It was like, I love Charleston. It still feels like my, you know, one of my hometowns, but I just, you know, I went through a big shift and like think my life there changed. Right. Mm. And um, so I moved to Asheville and, um, and my now wife, uh, cause I'm remarried. Uh, yeah. she, she moved there with me as well. And she was from here in Austin. And so we, we were living there and it was great and we loved it. And, uh, you know, it was, it was, we got used to the rhythm with my daughter and everything. And, uh, but even that felt like sort of like, okay, I'm leaving this place that I've pretty much lived my ent- entire life, except for, you know, touring and a brief stint in the, like living in Cuba in college. But like, um, I, uh, you know, I think that was a nice transition for like the, ultimately we knew we were going to end up in Austin because we wanted to grow our family. And, um, that is part of the reason why we were here. My wife's entire family is here. And I also have a deep network of friends here from, you know, over the years of touring, but also just folks that I know from South Carolina too, that, uh, that live here now. Um, so it, it honestly wasn't that like, we, we just knew it was coming. And, um, once the time like really came, we're like, okay, we need to make this move now. Um, yeah, we did. And cause our family's growing and, uh, when you say your family's and, growing, you're, are you having an, another kid with a new partner? Yes, we are. We, are. we uh, haven't like publicly announced that, but we're planning on doing that. Oh, well you just did kind of so, a little bit. Yeah, that's fine. It's fine. All it's right. cool. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we are. And, uh, yeah, so that, you know, we wanted to lean into that and do what made sense for us, but I'm still in South Carolina a lot. You know, my, my daughter lives there and my, my mom lives there. And so I spent a lot of time with my daughter, my mom and my niece and my wife's out there a lot too. Um, and, and some of my band's still there. So, I mean, I'm, I still have like, you know, I got a storage unit there. I keep my van there. Mm -hmm. It's like, um, it's kind of a, um, like, home base sort of like second home base. Right. Um, yeah, how old's your daughter base. now? A couple of years, two, three, she's four and a half, four and a half. Okay. Yeah. So you get to see and, her uh, fairly, fairly frequently. Yeah. It's gotta be a, tough you know, though to be away from her. Definitely. And that's been the hardest sort of tr- part of, uh, that's been the hardest evolution of the last couple of years since her mom and I split. It's just been sort of getting used to not being in her life every day. Yeah. And I talk to her a few times a week on the phone. I see her at least for a few days every month. Um, and it would be more, but like the nature of what I do is like, I'm just gone all the time yeah. and like I'm always traveling. And, you know, it's definitely been emotionally and logistically and, and always a lot to sort of like re reorient, reorient my life after everything that sort of happened and changed. And, but I'm just doing the best I can, you know, like oh, hell, uh, that's all you can do, man. I know. And, 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 you know, some days are harder than others, but, uh, you know, my daughter's doing well. She, uh, she is in a great place. Her mom is a great partner as well. Who's a friend of mine. And so like, oh, she has good, good, good. two great folks that looking after her every day there. And then when she comes and hangs out with my wife and I, we have a great time too. And she, you know, she just, it's the thing that we're navigating together. And, um, well, that's great, man. Little, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. It sounds like a great co-parenting situation. I mean, that's what kind of what you're, you know, that's the no, sweet it, spot. It, it, I'm divorced always, too. I went through that whole thing and, you know. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it's always difficult. There's things, but I, I definitely feel fortunate that like our situation <clears throat> kind of after the initial sort of chaotic period, like has been pretty, 
peaceful and um, just like, and pretty easy. Like the, the hardest part is just navigating the logistics of being on the road, which was part of my life before anyway. So it's like, you know, I'm excited. I'm grateful for the changes in my life. I'm grateful for the sort of like personal growth that I've undergone through this stuff and like the new perspectives I have. And, and I'm, I'm excited for the future. Like we, I'm really excited for our, our new baby and our little Texan, you know, like (laughs) I love being out here in Austin. It's it's like, it's, it's a great spot. And, and, and I'm, I'm, and I get to go back to God's country, South Carolina, at least, you know, a couple of times a month. So it's, Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. And it's great that your, uh, that your wife, your current wife has family out there. I mean, that's kind of, that, that's a great scenario for having a kid and having that support system. It's a lot easier to move into a town. It's a great group. She has sisters that are also having babies right now too. So it's like, we're kind of in a really good, community for you know what what's happening in our family right now so that's awesome that's awesome um oh you mentioned uh cuba and college where would you go to college so i went to college a couple of times yeah i uh, i went to uh i mean i'm from south carolina so like i i I went to like a military college called the citadel like right after high school oh geez yeah that's hardcore man it was hardcore yeah I was there for two and a half years and then my old band got like a record deal with Atlantic records. And uh-huh. so yeah. I dropped out and pursued that. It didn't, it kind of fizzled out. Everybody <laughs> at the label got fired and they forgot who we were. And, um, and that was so Atlantic. I, That's not like a small label. I know. That's why I told my parents, my parents were like, yeah, drop out of college. It's cool. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. flying us to LA and stuff for, it was like, it was cool. It was actually a pretty formative part of my like career. Um, but, uh, but you know, that fizzled out and I DIY toured with my old band until I just kind of got fed up with it. And uh, I went back to school at College of Charleston and I studied anthropology there with a focus, a minor in Latin American Caribbean studies. Nice. And um, so that led me to Cuba. I studied, I did a semester at the University of Havana. Um, and that's kind of where the band started. I had like, I had uh, kind of, had a few songs that I was like listing on like Bandcamp under the name Susto, but I thought that was just the name of the the record, you know. And then mm-hmm. when I was in Havana, like I was really trying to shift my focus away from music towards Latin American politics, and uh, and but my my professor, like my my main mentor um, academically, his son was in a band, and so. We uh, uh we started playing hanging all the time before I knew it. I was spending a lot more time writing and recording your, than I was. Your advisor person is supposed to push you towards the academic side. Instead, yeah. he like got you off of that whole thing because he was into and music. He loved it though. He was like, <laughs> I bet he did. He, he was very he was very chill about it, you know. Like, and I still like I kept up and I studied. And I, the you know the academics was a big part of that whole experience. But like, uh, you know, I recorded a little like solo record down there and uh, played some shows as Susto with like the Havana rendition of the band and then oh right on and then that time sort of then there were some other personal things that that time led, led to and I, I, yeah i was in the year 2013 i was sort of back and forth between charleston and havana pretty much most of the year interesting and, i knew um, there was a good backstory to the whole latin american kind of feel of susto not only from the name perspective but yeah. uh doesn't one of your band members have like a home or something and or has a connection to mexico city and you guys did yeah. some recording recently at some crazy outdoor situation yeah yeah we uh so we have that sort of early cuban uh connection yeah uh led to a uh it kind of set the stage i guess for our like 
the rest of our Latin American connections. Uh, but like I, so Camilo, who's the guy was my, my advisor's son, mm-hmm. he eventually immigrated to Mexico. And, um, and I was still sort of collaborating with him on the writing front because he co-wrote a few of the songs on the first record. And, wow. and my creative partnership with him was, is always something that's been really important to me. And he's one of my best friends. Oh, cool. And so when he got to Mexico, I started going down there to, um, to work with him. And, uh, and also at the same time, I was taking advantage of the time and with our first label deal, which was like our third label, like our third record, um, they were, I was like, can we please go do promo in Mexico city? Cause it's like, you know, it's a huge hub for music in Latin America. Oh, yeah, and, it's great. And so they, they kind of listened to me about that and let, let me do that. And through going down there, collaborating with Camilo and, uh, and doing like radio promo and stuff, I, I started to meet more people who were making music in Mexico city. Mm-hmm. We started to play shows there. And then during the pandemic, and Johnny was not playing in the band at the point because he had a hiatus from the band because he went out and started a, a band called the Artisanals and they have two records out and mm-hmm. he was working still kind of actively working on the studio stuff, but not in the touring band. Okay. But like he moved to Mexico City after like when everything kind of shut down with the pandemic and and I was sub- sort of organizing this like recording trip down there to like get Johnny to work on the record to get Camilo on the record. And I was utilizing some friends of mine who play in this band, Mexican Institute of Sound, which is like uh, very popular internationally. But they they have some great like studio spaces and just connections in Mexico City. But because that like broader, like in Latin America, but also in like Iberian Europe. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, so we kind of that was kind of what led to that pilgrimage you sort of like alluded to where we it was. covid so i didn't want to in mexico city was sort of shut down so i didn't want us to be like sort of pinned in there so we we i had heard of this place and so my friends in mexico city had been like like routinely go to this place it's called tepo slan and it's about an hour and a half uh like southwest of mexico city mm-hmm. so wolfgang our producer myself uh our tour manager at the time and a camera guy uh like we flew down to Mexico. We met Johnny in the airport and uh, we rented this van that turned out to have no brakes. Oh, uh, and we drove, literally, we drove the city fuck? traffic and, and through the mountains. Like I had to use the, like the, the e-brake hand, the like, hand brake. and we were driving through the mountains. It was sort it was quite treacherous. Oh, yeah, that's actually, not dangerous but, at all, man. Yeah. And it was the first time like leaving the country in a while because, you know, it, this was like January, 2021. It was like right before it was, it was still before everything was still weird. And like, we all were masked up and all this stuff, yeah. but we were trying to get there because Johnny and Camilo could not come to the U S. And so we, we went down there, we rented this Airbnb that tur- turned out to be magical. And it was just like on the side of this Hill and the guys from, from Mexican Institute of Sound, they brought, like mobile recording unit and we just set up in the studio for like or in the airbnb we set up a studio for like a week and we basically didn't leave except to go like on a hike or like go get food or booze or whatever you yeah, know yeah. like and we just uh we sort of finished some stuff on like our fourth record time in the sun and we started working on some stuff that ultimately was on our last record my entire life right our, our current record you yeah know? yeah and and that was just, you know, it was just something we were doing almost out of necessity, but it was, it was quite a, quite an adventure and, uh, it was fun. And it's like, it, it's something we all sort of fondly remember with like, there's a song on our new record cowboys that we wrote, 
while we were there. And there was one night where all of us just opened the bottle of tequila and we were just passing around, like so stoked about having written that song that day. And we were yeah. all young cowboys like you. you know, it, was, <laughs> it was fun because it was that That's time, stuff, you know, man. a lot of us it's, now that things are sort of opened up and everything again, it's like, it's hard to remember exactly how sort of repressed it felt like to not be around people. I mean, we try like, not to remember it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but like, I think we were all just so glad to be together, hanging out, making music, like, and you know, it was, it was not, it was probably not completely under protocol. I mean, for sure. But like, we did our best. It to gives be a shit, man. Safe. It was cool. It was I know cool. exactly. Like we were in hindsight, it's like, you guys were just I all was by yourself worried. out there. I mean, like what's going to happen. That it was, was, it was your pop. Sure, it was like, cool. It was cool. Yeah. I didn't get COVID. I did get a bad case of uh, some stomach stuff when I came back. <laughs> Who Sorry. doesn't when they go to Mexico City? So, do, so did I. First, I've been going to Mexico so much. And it was the first time I really got burned. And I was like, damn it. You know, I usually I don't go like COVID. for three or four days. Like I think four days is when it starts to kick in for me because I gets I got sick last time coming back. And once when I was yeah. in, I went to Turkey and I got sick when I got home. From Ist- yeah. something I ate in Istanbul, I don't know. Yeah, man. In Cairo, I, I, you know, I, I in Cairo, maybe I'm that that person who goes uh you know, the lesser developed countries and just gets fucking sick, man. Now that I remember, I got sick when I was in Cairo, also, enough. huh? That just you, that just means you're being adventurous enough. You know, you're just eating and doing your thing, and like that. Yeah. You know, if you got if the price to pay is a little bit on the back end, then on the back end, uh, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool though, man. I've always wanted. I've been to Istanbul, but I've never been to Cairo. I've always wanted to go. I'm sort of like yeah. I live with my family. We lived abroad for a year. We lived in Italy, in Rome, Italy, like 12 years ago. And uh, over oh, that cool, 2009, 2010, we took the kids, put them in school there, and um, for a year. Uh, and that, uh, I think it was December, 2009, we went to Cairo, we went to Egypt, Cairo and went down wow. the Nile a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's right there. If you're in Rome, it's like an hour, two hour flight, you know, it's crazy. Know, it's it's so a two cool. hour like, flight never... and 3000 years backwards. I mean, historically, like the, just the, the history of Egypt and the, the Pharaohs and the Nile and the, I mean, the fucking pyramids, dude. I know, it's dude. Incredible. I'm into all of it. Like, I, you, well, you can get wife, some, like, catch some amazing pyramids in Mexico too. I mean. Even, oh yeah. No, I love, I, I, I love going and visiting like the archeological sites in Mexico. Yeah. And, like, even at Salon where we were doing the recording, there's a pyramid on top of a mountain there. It's oh, a shit. small one. But I'm just like Chichen Itza is a cool one. You know, people go down yeah. to Cancun like just to hang out as tourists. But you know, I I don't. Yeah, I've been to a smaller went. one. I didn't go to Chichen Itza, but I, but it was a really interesting Mayan um, ancient city. And even if you go down to Tulum, which is a popular tourist destination now, it used to be way more chill years ago. But it's a beautiful ancient uh, ruins at Tulum up on the hillside, right? Look yeah, was on a bluff overlooking the ocean. It's it's stunning. And yeah, the ones on the ocean in Tulum are great. Chichen Itza is super impressive, like with the ball court and everything. Like I was, yeah. I've, I've been like, I'm sort of like a, a I mean, an ancient the, history nerd. So they like, play, I, they uh, play soccer with the the heads that they beheaded, the, that kind of like, yeah, well, like those, thick, those like rubber ball and like the <laughs> ceremonial nature of it. It's like like we were, my wife and I were walking around the ball court and we were like, some people got fucked up here. Yeah, yeah. Right, <laughs> I didn't know right. how I was fucked up. Yes, people oh, got fucked up. I'm going to run. It's my 60th birthday in December. I'm going to go. I, I have since I, you know, I, that that one year in Italy. Then I'd sp- I'd spent two years there as a student. So that's why I was interested. That's why it's um, drew my attention to you spending some time in Cuba as a student. I spent time in Italy as a student. Um, Do you read Latin? I mean, I can make it out. Kind. Of. I mean, it's so similar to Italian. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's the clo- Italian's the closest language to Latin, obviously. No, I, I never took. I never took academic Latin. Did you? Okay. I'm. I. I take it now. I'm like. I'm oh, really? Upset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How does it? Does it help you with language? Uh, probably. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I studied it in in school, like. Uh, but like, I'm just on my, in my free time, like I just love like ancient history and anything like that. And so I like, I do like, uh, I do like Latin lessons every day. Got to go to, have you been to Rome? No, I haven't. Oh, so shit, saying, dude. I yeah, you got to go. Gotta so go. And I want to go to Egypt. Like I want to go, I want to go so, so many places, but yeah, of course. Oh, That's an easy thing it. to hook together though, is a, is a go be in Rome and then fly to Cairo. I'm going to put that on our list. Like, cause we got like, we're, we're, you're talking about taking the kids over there and put them in school and stuff like that. My yeah. wife and I are like, that's the kind of thing we want to do. Like we want to kind of be here. Like while our, our, our son is like, you know, like young and everything. And then uh, I don't know, let him have those experiences. Like, oh, I so you know, it's a boy already. We do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How psyched are you? I'm stoked, man. I'm really excited. My, uh, my daughter's excited too. She's like, Oh she was, yeah. She, they, the girls it's, love it's being having a little brother. Oh my God. It was funny though. Cause she has like, she has like, it's just kind of her and her older cousin right now. And they're both around, they're like four and five. Right. And they're both girls. And when they found out we were having a, uh, a boy, they were like a boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's going to be all right. It's going to be cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're stoked about it now. Oh, that's cute. That's cute. So you wanted you you think you wanted to spend some time over there at some point? Have you have you toured in Europe with Susta? Yeah, but we we primarily tour in like Scandinavia, Scandinavia, really? and like and Benelux and uh, and Germany. Yeah, like we've so done kind of like a Northern like, Italy thing. What do you attribute just to like your your you figured out that you guys are being listened to over there and just went over there, or was it something? Well, it was just kind of a I feel taken... like when we are being listened to in a place, like we get invited, and so like uh, that's like uh, that's where we've been. It that's like because we mostly play festivals over there, and mm-hmm. uh, that's where we've been. But we've we haven't been to Europe since like 2019 or so um, just because the pandemic. Oh yeah, sure. Of course. Down and then with everything going on in my life, like coming out of the pandemic, I haven't really wanted to, to stray that far away yet, you know? Um, but we'll get back. We're making plans about trying to get there sometime next year, like uh, late summer, probably. Yeah. But. Well, and you can end the tour in Rome and then hang out there. There we go. I'll yeah, spread the word when I'm there. I'm going to be looking around at music venues and seeing what I can discover please there. Please do. Please yeah. do. Yeah. Hell you'll yeah. Be like a, you'll be like the Susto missionary going out ahead of us, you know? Fucking street team, man. There we go. La squadra de la strada. There you go. I there don't know if go. that's what it is. You know, I don't know. The team it of the street. Good. It sounds good to me. Yeah. It, sounds, yeah. it all sounds nice, right? Um, okay. The religious background. Um mm. I'm not very religious. I'm Jewish. You know, Jesus does not play a central role in Judaism. Um, So I find it fascinating, um, your relationship with your religious background and this relationship that you have with Jesus and how you've been open about it. You're laughing. He's an electric guitar player in our band, actually. How you're, oh, he's Jewish? No, no, just Johnny. So is Wolfgang, clearly, from his male. Well, Zimmerman can go both ways. I think, uh, yeah, Wolfie was like raised like evangelical Christian. I think he's got some like Jewish heritage or something, but mm. Johnny just looks like Jesus. So everybody says like, and we have this song where he like plays Jesus in a video and stuff. So he like, so I'm, I just joke that like he's. Oh, that was here. him on the beach, the beach yeah. one. Yeah. 
Exactly. I love those Susto stories, dude. All right, I don't want to get too far afield, but the Susto story. No, no, we'll go back into the original stuff, but just since you mentioned it, because the Jesus one, I I watched the Jesus one because I wanted to understand a little bit more of your philosophy. But for anyone listening, go to the website, Susto Stories. It's also an album as well, right? Where you you narrate. That's fantastic, man. That's speaking to like the openness of your own self and the band and, and what you're doing to put an album out. Like... Did, was there a vinyl of that or was it just like a digital release? I, there might have been a vinyl for it. Yeah. I don't, but anyway, sure. anyway, that, it was just was, like the cool thing about yeah. just, ha- just talking about your songs and then playing them. It's, it was, it was cool. You know, it's like, you know. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, that was some, something we sort of did like early on in our bands, I guess. But we're going you know, back to Jesus though, man. Yeah. Well, well, back to, you know, with the, I, it sort of ties into stories, I guess, because there's part of yeah. it where like I'm explaining that song, but like, yeah, we had like, I don't know, I don't know where to should I talk. Well, about it's all religious? about the, it's it's about the ethos of the band. I mean, I can tie it into what we were going because we went down the Jesus yeah. Road, which was part of the Susto stories, which everyone should go and watch the videos or listen to the streaming to the um to the album, um, but. So yeah, I wanted to learn more about what your philosophy is. And and it's it is part of the bigger package because it it is kind of who you are. You've evolved from that. As I understand, it was like a southern evangelical angle of uh yeah. of religion and and that deeply affected you. But clearly what I found interesting is that not only how you incorporate faith or whatever, whatever it means to you in your own songwriting, because it's part of who you are, but how that relationship has evolved because it was such a big part of your life, but you've changed your relationship to it. It feels like, how has it evolved for you and how did it start? It's definitely like, you know, for better or for worse, like, or just without really even my even choice in it, like had a a major impact in my life because like I, where I grew up and like, like the sort of cultural background that I come from is deeply religious. Yeah. Um, and it's not in like it's institutional way, like Catholicism or even Judaism, or maybe even I'm not super familiar with Islam, but like um, it's evangelical Christianity. Like just, it is just sort of like it, every church is its own little thing. And, and people might have little idiosyncr- idiosyncrasies about their beliefs that like, that don't jive with the people right down the block, but it's like, but it's all, there's some like loose, you know, narrative and I don't know, but it, not that that's important. That's not really important. I guess I grew up in that, in this religious sort of environment that bounced between Pentecostal holiness churches, which my mom's side Mm -hmm. and then uh, Southern Methodist churches, which is a bit more buttoned up, but still like very fundamental in their uh, like beliefs. Beliefs. Yeah. I went to Christian schools, you know, I, uh, Baptist school, I went to Presbyterian school and, uh, I was just around church all the time. I, I, in high school, I went to a non-denominational school and I kind of, I mean, church. And that's like, well, where I started kind of playing music was being a youth leader, like, uh, not a youth leader, but like a, a youth, like praise band leader, I guess, like sort of like, um, playing for my peers. Did you say praise band? Yeah. Praise band. Okay. Yeah. I think that honestly, there are remnants of that in Susto or like in whatever. Cause I mean, I went on and had like, I never was in like a band that I considered to be a Christian band or anything. Uh Like definitely would touch on my faith sometimes. Like, but then, you know, Susto, the start of Susto sort of represents like me coming out of 
like that, uh, that sort of religious worldview and, sure. and being open about it. Like, uh-huh. because I started to doubt for a while and like, and it was kind of coincided with me ending my old band. Cause I was like, there was sort of some of this religiosity mixed up in some of the lyrics and stuff. And I just like, I was like, I don't stand behind that anymore. Like, yeah. And, but it's still um, part of like who you are. Like you dug it as yeah. a kid. It feels like it gave you some, like it was like a, something that you identified with, but it feels. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, it was like everybody, it's part of the, well, see that's, I started to really learn how central it was to my life when I, left it because then I started to realize that I was like, not that decision was not well received by family or friends of family or really anybody in my church community. My whole community was my church community. Um, other than like, you know, me and my shithead friends that I was hanging out with at the time <laughs> living and starting advance with. Right. Um, and so that, that was weird. Like I kind of overnight, like had a really stressed relationship with like, everybody from where I come from, because I was, you know, not only didn't believe this anymore, I was also going through this phase where I felt like maybe like I had been purposely fooled or something. It took me years to realize that people was trying to do right by me. What was it? Was there, was there vibe? Like, um, you're going down the road to the devil. Is that what the whole like negativity thing is? Yeah. Right. 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 I just wanted to to clarify that, but I've spoken to so many artists that, that grew up in like gospel church, um, uh, female artists, uh, gay artists, gay, female, lesbian artists, LGBTQ identifiers today that grew up in that environment and that those other kind of pressures are insane as well. But wow. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of, there's a pretty rigid expectation of what you're supposed to claim to be. Mm -hmm. If you don't, then like people are actually, they're not just telling you you're going to hell. Like people that love you are actually afraid that you're going to hell. And like, that's a hard thing to reckon with because yeah, like that's kind of on hard, one hand yeah. I was like, well, I can't pretend to like believe this stuff and I don't even think hell exists, but right. like, I know that my mom, my grandma, my people in my life are legitimately losing sleep over the fact that like, they think I'm going to go to hell. And like, that was a weird place to be in, you know, like, and so, you know, that has continued to play out like ever since, you know, that sort of change in my life. And this was only like, you know, 10 or 12 years ago that I sort of had this shift and I'm 36 now. Like yeah. I, I was, you know, in like certainly early to mid twenties before it started to really like shake up for me. And then, then I realized that there was a void in my life because I couldn't speak. Uh, there was like, people say like, Oh, I'm going to pray for you. You know, or I'm going to do all this stuff. Like the way you speak and culturally, it's just such a part. It's so baked into everything. I had made myself an outsider and I had to sort of, reckon with that and i've i've also it's been a it's been a sort of a journey figuring out how to let myself fit back in you know like on my own terms you yeah, know but yeah. like um and how to explain myself to everybody because it's like you know at the same time like i feel so culturally southern you know like there's and there's there's dark and terrible things about the south right that i understand and reckon with that stuff too but it's also there's these just it's just who i am though it's my culture and everything and for a long time i felt like this outsider because of the the religious aspect of it. And I've been like finding ways to like, you know, reassure myself of my own sort of identity, you know, like, and, and sort of make that known. It's a weird thing. A couple of questions. First, like, what does that look like to, um, when you kind of detach yourself from those people that you're close to that are telling you to go to hell, that you're going to go to hell and are afraid of you because they love you. 
and that yeah. those are their beliefs. But at some point, it appears like you moved on, or yeah, you, well, you, your 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 worldview kind of shifted to not believe what they believe. But so, where does that leave your relationships with those that love you? Well, I just sort of keep you know since then. Mm. I've been to a lot of funerals with these people. I've been to, I've had babies born. I've like, I've been through a lot of life stuff since then where like, you know, they're, they've started to see me existing and doing okay and being there for them and showing up for them yeah. and showing up for myself and my family and the people in my life. Like, uh, and you know, they're, they're realizing they're like, okay, well maybe like this isn't so cut and dry. Like all this it's, he, he uh, ended up okay anyway, kind of thing. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> Look at it, this guy's kind of normal, even though he's going to hell. <laughs> right, <laughs> this is what exactly. hell looks like. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and if it looks no. like this and I love this guy, maybe it ain't so bad. <laughs> and that's, and that's exactly the kind of thing that led me to sort of change my thinking on things. It's like, you have to see something that goes against what you've been sort of believing in the bubble you've been living in to. Right. It's called imagine. exposure to the bigger world. Right, exactly. Which is and difficult like, I, to do I, I, when you live in like small town South Carolina or small town anywhere, really right? It That's really and is. they try to keep that going too. Don't mm-hmm. go out, don't leave, be here. You're gonna go into hell if you go to fucking New York City or what have you. I know, and it's it's harder for that to happen, and that sort of is sort of going away, uh, you know. And I think that's good. I mean, it's sort of there's this nostalgia. There is. Uh, well, the world's town. becoming smaller also, and there's a, just a little tiny kind of breakthrough called the internet. Yeah. Ever heard of it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we'll just, just a small footnote in history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but you still have this personal, talk to me. What is, what is it to have a personal Jesus? Well, it's like, for me, I just like, so I've, I've started to like, just take all the weight away from it. Cause yeah. I just don't consider myself to be religious in any way, maybe like loosely spiritual. I more just like believe in human connection and like trying to feel good and do, yeah. But Jesus does, he does factor into your songwriting. For for sure. Cause it's like, it's like when I was talking about how like this religiosity is sort of baked into the the language even. So like in me as a storyteller, as a talker, even like, like this stuff kind of comes up. Like I have these like Bible stories and stuff in my head that Mm. like I, you know, I use as metaphors or I play with and mess around with them. Like for me, it's just like a tool. It's an artistic tool now. It's just something in my toolbox. It's like, yeah. Um, you know, it's part of me. And yeah. so I like to have fun with it. And I don't like, I don't really worry too much about, I've been told enough that I'm going to hell. Like, to, I don't worry about it anymore. Well, you know, tell I, I your, just, tell your family that at least from my perspective, like there's a Jewish guy out there who's kind of the only time he ever thinks about Jesus is when he listens to Susto. So there we go. There, there you go. <laughs> always told if me nothing else, you know, <laughs> and I want to clarify though, too, like, you know, I've, it was rough for a while, but like my mom and I, like we have a great relationship and, you know, we kind of agree to disagree about a lot of things. Yeah. And I think that's, everybody needs to learn how to do that because it's like, there. I disagree with people who are like my best friends about sure, stuff. And sure. like, you know, we got to like, you're not impugning someone's that. core character. You're just recognizing that there are others that think in a certain way where right. I get, where I go against that is when people are just shoving shit down your throat and saying, you're going to hell. I mean, that's kind right. of, that's crossing that's the, the line. Thing. That's the thing. And you know, like my, my, my family kind of did that to me and they saw what happened. I withdrew. Yeah. And I was they like, lost okay, you. If they want to lose you, they can tell you that you're a fucker and that you're going to go into fucking hell. Exactly. That's and a that great way. To, that's a great way to lose people. That goes vice versa because like me being like aggressive about the whole situation too also mm-hmm. pushed them. 
Yeah. And so it's right. like, yeah, like nobody needs to push anything down anybody's throat. We need to like, you know, and I'm talking about in my situation, I'm not trying to preach about the world or the nature of human communication, but like, yeah. like, you know, that's just a lesson that we learned in, in our experience. And because of it, my mom and I are closer than we ever have been. And, you know, we deal with a lot of stuff because I have a couple of brothers that are like meth heads and like, right. you know, and, and I have a daughter and I have a, a niece who is the, the, the child of one of those, one of my brothers who's not doing well. And like, you know, my dad's gone. So we, we need each other. Right. And so yeah. like we've been put our differences aside and we love each other and that love, it transcends. And that's like, that's the, that's the, the takeaway, you know, it's yeah. like. How are you seeing? Um, so let's talk briefly about the kind of addiction, the meth epidemic addiction in, in that you've had it, is issues with it. Historically, you know, so many people in South Carolina and where you grew up with that. Where are we at today in 2023 with it? Are things getting worse, better, same? Do you see changes? Is there, is there a little more hope? What, what's, what's, what's your view on that? I, uh, you know, I, I, I can't really claim to have any sort of sociological or, or like, um, view or like, I don't know the data. I don't know like what's going on in the broader world. I, I only sort of know it from personal experience. Yeah. And I have two brothers. I'm one of four boys and I have two brothers who have had their own very distinct, uh, from each other struggles with, with, um, you know, like hard drugs. And I've had lots of friends that have had the same struggles. I've had those struggles before and, uh, you know, struggled with addiction. Addiction is still something I have to manage in my life. And, um, I have seen both of two of my brothers like go from like becoming addicted to opioids to like having to be in rehab for that to switching teams and going on to meth. And mm. some of that was brought on by them experiencing homelessness and uh, um, living on the street. And some of it was like, I don't know that you, you can come into that sort of lifestyle yeah. uh, and that scene yeah. different ways. And they both came to it in different ways for sure. And I'm not going to get too deep in or too detailed into their individual stories, sure, but sure. Like, it's something I will say that in both of them has, um, become a catalyst for ex extreme mental health issues yeah. uh, with schizophrenia. And on one, I have one brother who's paranoid schizophrenic and the other one who's schizophrenic. I don't even know these. I'm not, I, I, I'm, I don't even know the proper psychological terms for these. Like mm -hmm. I just, uh, and I don't even really, both of my brothers have been diagnosed at one point or another, but they mostly basically both have schizophrenia, but that like one of them, like tends to have multiple personalities pop up and like is not know he's even himself and like is like just like blacked out doesn't know who you are like you know wow and then my other one sorry his schizophrenia sort of manifests in this way that's very paranoid and he feels like he's at the center of some like plot and these was this even before that, the drug use no no the it was uh, it's brought on meth induced yeah, yeah. like uh uh, I mean, and we don't have to go would, so much into the we, into it with mental, about your mental brothers. Illness, don't I don't I don't. Mental illness does exist in my family. It yeah. has existed in my family. Yeah, it's been it's been um, sort of exacerbated. I guess is the right word, or it's been highlighted by the meth use, and it's been kind of exacerbated. Pushed forward yeah, papers, for exacerbated. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And um, 
Yeah. And it's a thing that like my mom, who it's all really sort of when my dad passed was when it all sort of getting, getting out of control. Like my brothers were sort of like maybe trying, playing around with meth and stuff. But then like it kind of their use started to ramp up when my dad died. And I don't know if it was because of that or, you know, it it, it affects a lot of us. My dad was sort of a pillar in our family. Mm. And, uh, it's just, I don't know. It's been so hard on my mom because like she, I mean, it's hard on my brothers, right? Like they're experiencing this. It's like, I can't even imagine being in their brain. Yeah. Uh, Cause addiction is a hard thing to kick. They want, they, well, at least one of them definitely like wants to get better, but just can't. And, uh, but you know, my mom is, is, you know, she's widowed. She's trying to take care of my brother's, uh, daughter part-time. My, my, my niece's mom is incredible. She's great. She takes great care of her daughter, but like my mom helps to kind of step in where my brother never really has been able to. And, um, you know, it's just, I don't know where, I guess going back to your question, where are we at? I don't know. All I know is with us and our family, Mm. it's a daily weekly thing. Something's happening with them and there does not seem to be any sort of light at the end of the tunnel. Like, I don't know if the epidemic is going to get better. Like, I think one thing people are seeing what drugs do to people like more clearly now, like people are ODing on the opioid side with fentanyl and everything. People's lives are being completely just um, cooked by, with meth. And right. so it's like, uh, you know, I, I it's, I think the more visibility on the real side effects and the real like res- consequences of use of these drugs is like hopefully going to scare people away from using them. But I don't know that there's any sort of like mass effort that's going to help or work. It's like, it's an epidemic, you know, it's like yeah. any other disease. Yeah. And uh, well, that sounds tough. I'm sorry that it's affected your, it's definitely, it's obviously touched you very personally. And yeah, I mean, it's frustrating. It's like, no, yeah. It's frustrating. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, also it's, uh, you know, I'm grateful because I we have a new song on our record called Tina, and Tina is the street name for meth, uh, oh. and and it's, the song is sort of about my family's experience with with what I sort of just laid out, and like there was, and my wife helped me write this song. Like she and I, she co-writes with me all the time. She's one of my my sort of like muses. And she's my muse, but also like she motivates and pushes me to write and to mm. act, act of, like take these moments that are happening and put them in songs. And, you know, I'm grateful for her because we wrote that song, Tina at her sort of like behest. Like, you know, I was going through a moment where like my mom had called me and told me a bunch of stuff going on with my brothers and I was just in tears. And we, uh, we went out on the beach and wrote that song. And like, I, it was really hard, but it felt like this sort of like unlaying of a burden, you know, it didn't fix but it definitely like helped me talk about what was going on in my life because I couldn't explain it. You know, my mom and my mom has said this after the song. She's like, you know, I feel like this like song sort of like tells our side of it because people kind of see because all this stuff is on Facebook and everything. And my brothers are very active in like and they're and people who knew us and we grew up with in our small town, you know, like are like, what's going on? Like, you know, and like we don't know what to tell them, you know, like yeah. some of them have experienced similar things with their family members, but a lot of people haven't and they don't, it's hard for them to imagine. Um, right. But, but psychedelics, however, that's played a core part in kind of your own personal development and creativity. I think psychedelics is one of the reasons why I didn't fall towards some of those 
less productive substances, yeah. you know, addictive substances. Yeah. Addictive substances. I think like, um, I, and it's also played a huge part in the development of my worldview and mm-hmm. my, uh, I don't know. It's like, I, I don't actively like have, um, like really big psychedelic moments anymore in my life. I mean, I, I would given the opportunity like in the right space and time, but you know, there, there requires a, it requires a certain amount of like, uh, time and space and, and yeah. lack of responsibility, you know, like, right. um, but I was fortunate in my sort of mid twenties to be with a group of folks that like, I was really comfortable with that. We were all sort of exploring that together in like a, a pretty safe environment and it had a profound effect on me. And I think it also helped me identify some of my own addictive tendencies and mm. maybe not completely defeat them or erase them, but learn how to be better aware of them and how to respect them and, um, and, and how to, you know, where to place my fear, you know, like what to not be afraid of and what to be afraid of, you know, like in a way that I don't think I would have come across. So did you start out, did you start out using psych and we're talking like LSD shrooms? What are we talking? Both. I mean, I, I started some of that stuff in military school. Actually, it was funny. It was oh, like, wow. <laughs> that was my, yeah, you needed a break first. from that reality, I guess. Well, it's funny because like my under the guise of the military school, it was like there was also all this like psychedelic culture there. Um, really? I was in I was in L company. OK, so like uh, that means nothing to me. Well, but like, the oh, L, L. oh, L company. OK, yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. Whoops. So yeah, of course, that was, but, so I don't know if that was like whenever I was there, they took one look at you and they're like L company. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and it was cool because like I it wasn't like my first year, but my second year, like there wasn't much you could do. We couldn't leave that much, and um, we would just start like eating mushrooms and you know watching the wall and stuff like that, mm. like college, you know. Nice. And then that led to to acid, and um, and I kind of had some experiences there, and then put it down for a while. I had one like pretty intense trip on acid by myself. It was like, I didn't really realize how much I was taking and, you know, being stuck in a military college, tripping by yourself, like in the middle of the night. Oh my God. How did you not completely freak out? Like I did. Uh, I did. Okay. But, uh, and so I sort of like, uh, was a little bit afraid of it for a few years. And that that was probably when I was 20 or 21. And it was a couple of years later, whenever I was living in this house where like Susto sort of was born out of this house too, you know, partly in Cuba, but partly this house I was living in. Even when I was in Cuba, I still had my room there. So I was just staying and it was like, it was, it was close to where we recorded our early records and it was just a formative place. And that was where like, I sort of like reintroduced myself to it and really started to kind of get comfortable and understand doses. And, yeah. and now like I'm still an active psychedelic user. I, um, I'm, I take psychedelics almost every show we play. Um, okay. but it's a microdose. Like it's for me, it's like a micro, like, did you say microdose? Microdose. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like I, it's, uh, sometimes it's mushrooms, um, more often it's LSD and I just, um, I take a very small amount and I can't even really, it's, there's no psychedelic experience at all. Really. It's just like yeah. maybe lightly psychedelic, like colors and stuff, but like, it's really more just for the, the, I hate to call it a performance enhancer, but like when you're on the road and you're in your late 30, I know I'm not old or anything. Right. But it's like, still, yeah. you know, like the road wears me out right? and it wears everybody out. And like, it, you know, if I 
microdose LSD, like when I get there at like 3 p.m. And then it keeps me going until I get to the hotel room at 1 p.m. And I'm just, it's like better than coffee, right? It's like coffee I can't sing on. Is it not, is it something that you depend on? Do you worry about dependence on that? I guess I misspoke when I said I use it like every show. Like with LSD, I probably use it like maybe twice a week. And then uh, mushrooms, I'll fill in with it. But then like, you know, like this weekend, I played two shows without either and they were great. It was like, it's really just like when my, I feel like I need, the bump like yeah. in my bottom like a coke bump it's not what i mean but like well i get it um, i get it no just you uh, showing up in a different way it allows you to show up to show up yeah it does it's like you know because i don't really drink coffee yeah i don't really uh and i wasn't saying like dependent like in a judgmental way i just like was wondering where your head's at like i, I need well, I to guess, do it i know? guess it's I guess, yeah, I guess, so I guess my re- reaction to that was sort of defensive at first, but like, in, and maybe in a way I am kind of dependent on it because I think like there are definitely shows where I know that if I hadn't taken it, like I would have been tired on stage, you know, like I, uh, just because it's a lot of moving around, like also like I'm the band leader. So there's like tour is not just getting up and playing, you You're know, right. it's like, Hell yeah. it's leading this group of people, however many days we're going out. And like when it's, we don't do super long stints anymore just because we don't really have to. But like um, when we do, if we're out for more than like <clears throat> a week. Like my body just starts to, to take a toll and I need something to like, cause I'm not getting the sleep. Like I either need like 10 hours sleep or I need to like have a microdose of LSD yeah. and I can't do it every day or it just loses an effect or whatever. But, um, but you know, every few days I'll do that to kind of keep me, keep me going. And I'm not, I don't know if it's bad to lean on that or not, but it definitely helps. You know, no, so. I don't, I'm, dude, I'm not, I'm not, there's no judgment, whatever, what works for you, you know, I mean, there's no, I don't want, and there's no absolutes, but I mean, it, it's more concerning when there is like significant physical deteriorating factors and there's not like, it's just, uh, how you want to do how, how you want to do your things that you said you don't notice any different from a show you know, like you'll just go without doing it and then the show's cool yeah i mean like it, it just depends on how much like i got like before we played some shows this weekend like i actually got full night sleeps and that that does it for me too it's mm, like mm-hmm. just when you're traveling like that you don't often get that and um sleep happens to be know, my favorite drug <laughs> What's that? Sleep is my total antidepressant yeah. drug, man. Holy Mine too, man. shit. I, I go can, out of my mind just, when I'm tired. If I can just sleep, like that's all I need. I just like in in my circumstance in my life, I, I don't often get a ton of option time to sleep. I mean, I'm I'm just I'm whenever I'm not on tour, I'm bouncing between Texas and South Carolina. And I'm just like, you know, I have a pretty demanding life that I've, I guess, designed somehow. But um, yeah. you know. I don't know. I, I, I don't like, if we're not touring and not playing a show, I don't, I don't, I mean, I smoke some weed, but I just, yeah. I chill and I relax and I let my body charge. You know, I, I exercise and drink water. You know, I'm trying to not try, I'm trying to keep myself going as long as I can. So, you know, and I feel like the, the acid it's like in the small amounts, it really, it's just something I've dialed in and it helps me on tour. And uh, it also helps me sort of like stay away from more detrimental things like alcohol and yeah um, you know there are a lot of people that would think you're crazy for saying that alcohol is more evil than acid oh i know right yeah those people have never eaten like a 20th of a hit like which is what i take it's like it's like it's i i wish that you could 
I don't know. Maybe it's maybe you shouldn't be able to buy it in a pharmacy, but I wish you could just buy it. For, well, I well, you almost can to. in states that are legal, right? I mean, for psilocybin yeah. at least. Yeah, psilocybin's really starting to make breakthroughs in places, and although California just turned it down on a state level. Well, you know, I didn't move to the best state for that either, but that's another story for another day. No, yeah, I know that. People, it's like I told people, I was like, I'm moving to Texas. And people were like, why? And I didn't, I was like, I didn't think about it. Then I was like, oh, politically, people are like Texas, but I just yeah. don't really think about that stuff. Like I lived in South Carolina and. Yeah, because you're from about, South Carolina. Texas is a like, fucking step up. No, Jesse yeah, Helms. Wait, Jesse Helms was yeah, North honestly, Carolina. There's right? more of a chance. There's more of a chance for like my sort of worldview to align with the political um apparatus here than in South Carolina probably but I also at the same time I will say like I I don't really I'm kind of burnt out on politics and I don't like I I follow along I just like I I'm trying to focus more on my my personal life my music and yeah and I mean it's easy for people to say why why are you doing it I mean also those people probably haven't been to Austin which is an amazing little island of liberalism but while yeah. you say you don't care about politics though it does it affects the nature and the environment and the attitude of people that's why Austin is so extremely to the other side because that's the nature of I'm not an expert in how Austin has developed that etc but I've been there a number of times and it's uh yeah, it's a cool place to live man there's a lot of shit going on especially from a music yeah, perspective. I've, I've always loved the city and like I, uh, you know, I've, I'm grateful to have this opportunity to live here and get to sort of put down roots here as well. And, and I, I am grateful that it is, you know, it's chill. It's not, you know, cause you know, as much as I try to just like avoid political stuff these days in my life, like I, I, I also am very aware of like, you know, what, where you live and like the sort of like zeitgeist of that place has a, a very profound effect on your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, I'm, that was, you know, I, I lived in Charleston for that reason. I lived in Asheville for that reason. Yeah. And we live in Austin for that reason, you know, yeah. because like there are, there's plenty of cities in all those States that we could have moved to that would have been just as convenient for us um, and our family. But um you know, we, we want to be where around like-minded people and, you know, I think there's strength in numbers. Totally. So. Totally. Well, you've, you've certainly been through a lot, man. And, uh, but you've, but you've used all of that to a great, to, to a beautiful end, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. It's for the my, journey, like, man. and let's like that, my entire life, the album. It's funny. Cause some people, at least you like, want to, at least you shoot big, man. <laughs> I know. Aim well, high, like, aim large. Honestly, I'll tell you what. Like on naming this record, I had no idea what to name it. Like this is the first album that like I didn't have a pretty clear idea of what the record was going to be named. Like pretty early on, like, and it, we were down to the wire, and they're like, "You have to name this thing. Like it has to have a name." And I was like, "I don't, I don't know. Call it like Susto Breakup Album Number Two. I don't know." <laughs> but like, and they were like, they were like. uh why don't we just, you know, go with my entire life and, and for, because it was a title track and like, and I started thinking about it and, and obviously if you take it just as it is, like, this isn't a record about my entire life. It's not even a record about my entire life so far. It's just uh, like, when I think about it, I think about like all the times in the past, like five years that I've said something like, man, this is the craziest thing I've ever felt in my entire life. Or like, I, or I just like, yeah. this, this is going to change my entire life. Yeah. It's like, like the overuse. You're, you're kind of like reflecting on the overused hyperbole of God, right. I've never seen that in anything like that in my entire life. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. You do and have like, a four year old girl who probably says that all the time. <laughs> no, she does. Yeah. She's like, 
She always says, this is the best day ever. Of my entire <laughs> life. Yeah, you're racking them up. <laughs> yeah, but, right. Um, Just wait, yeah, kid. You know, wait until you get older. I know. I'm. That's the sad thing about, like, I think. No, I mean, I meant that kind of an optimistic way. Were you going like, oh, that's a sad thing about growing up? Sorry. Well, I just like because I, I was like I saying that. Wait until you get to experience really great shit. Like I was looking. I know. At like that. There, I guess that's a good point. Like I, I start. I mean, I don't know. As a parent, like you start, you, I mean, you know this. Like you, you like, I don't know. Just you think about. I think about the world in terms of like my kids and like. Oh yeah. And my too, but like you know, like, and seeing all that joy is great. I just know that like you know over the over their lives they're gonna have to understand like the hard brutality of life that's out there that like um but also like you know i know that that's okay i know that like that is true but also there's a lot of joy and like um you know it makes me sad to like think about them having to learn that but also like hoping to be there as like a a guide to sort of like or or just a voice to be like hey yeah that's this is like pretty it can get pretty dark right yeah but you can avoid it. You know, you can, you can't always, and when you can't avoid it, you can learn how to deal with it. Right. And right, uh, right, right. I don't know, but yeah, I didn't mean to be like a bummer about like, you know, kids losing innocence and everything like that. It's like, no, that's, fuck no, I didn't take it like that, especially because, all right, I wrote down something that you said, maybe it was, maybe it could have just been a quote that someone else quoted you saying. So you, but you were talking about life as a series of redefining oneself in new situations. So yeah. it's like, taken in things and you've taken in a lot of stuff. You've had a lot of experiences. I see a lot of similarities with me in that sense. I've gone through a lot of different things. I've gone in different motherfucking directions, you know, everywhere, you know, um, in different career, different looks, different fields, different interests, you know, I mean, music has always been in, uh, in the forefront for me, but, um, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's profound, but it also requires a little bit of investigation, like redefining oneself in new situations. Is that, does that kind of ring true first before I can follow up? I think, I think that like, I'm definitely speaking from personal perspective on that. Because yeah. I think I have to redefine myself, but like, but also I think I want to like maybe clarity on that. Cause I think in this moment, at least thinking about that, like yeah. there's also a part of you that's like, that doesn't have to be redefined. That right? was my like follow up, dude. That's because, like, you don't, you be, you're everywhere you go, there you are. Yeah. So sometimes you have to be maybe it's, reintroduced to yourself or, like, you know, like you have to, or you have to, like, reestablish yourself or, like, well, I re, think you like, change your relationship to how things happen because you're always the same person. But also, the older you get, the more things that you encounter, the more situations, issues, relationships, et cetera. So you sort of redefine how you, um, can operate in the, the more I learn about myself and relationships or um, what have you professionally as an interviewer, also how, where I am, how I relate to others. It's always still me, but the more that I learn about how, what my relationship is with others in the world, the more I can kind of change how I approach that. And maybe that yeah. that's a little bit of it. Absolutely. I think like, you're just like, you're reorienting yourself like periodically yeah. through, you know, it's like, right. and, and if things shift up, you have to sort of check in. It's like, okay, who am I? What's the core parts of myself? Like, um, and also, but I do think re, re reinventing and redefining yourself, like to an extent is important, important too. Like, just because like, sometimes there's some cobwebs and there's some like, right. uh, right, right, right. 
there's some stuff that like, you know, maybe, I don't know. I just, I guess in my life there, a big part of what I've sort of experienced in the last few years has been, has been change mm-hmm. and, and it's been tough, right? Not just on me and some of my choices have affected other people yeah. negatively too. But like, I think that the change was sort of necessary for me. Like, I feel like I don't know if I could have, I mean, I was in a pretty dark place and I don't know if I would have maybe survived without reinvention. And hmm. I, I don't think that's like a pillar of existence or anything or something that I necessarily need to, I need to like burn the forest down every so often. Well, you're talking about having, mean. trying to change things that you, that are negative in your life. That's you do need people. It's good to redefine those things. Yeah. There were behaviors and sort of like patterns in my life that like I couldn't address and, um, and sort of try and fix and heal from without changing up a lot, you know, because like just the nature of acknowledging them, there was going to be a lot of change. And, uh, and so for me, that's sort of like, reset has been very very valuable it's been tough but it's been like it's been you know i've navigated the best i could but yeah speaking to the quote like i think i was maybe i don't know i don't know what yeah that was it's, out of, it's a, out of context but i mean it's it's things that we've been talking about as we've gone along so i think it was like pretty appropriate um yeah, for sure. but yeah i mean you need to stay true to yourself but like you've experienced a lot of um very difficult situations you know we were talking about the addiction stuff and uh that's when you kind of need to change oneself and one's relationship with the world if you're kind of going down those tough roads but bigger picture more in the more positive side you know it's like staying true to oneself and um and being hopeful in that regard and i think a lot of your songs do do that and they you give your fans hope in that regard you know hope is i think the most important thing like i i like because we there there is some heavy stuff we deal with in our songs there's some light stuff we deal in our songs but like even amongst all of it i feel like the thing that keeps me going and the thing that the crowd gives back to us and like the i think what's at the core of it is hope like and it's taken me a while to maybe even realize that just having to like take stock of what these songs are saying or what I'm trying to say through them, what we're trying to say as a, as a group, you know, yeah. and um, hope that word is like the, it feels like sort of the cornerstone of all of it. And um, so I'm glad you said that because I, I don't want like to just lay all this stuff out there and like, without, you know, conveying that I do think it's going to be okay. Like that's the way I get through this kind of stuff personally for me is just like this sort of, hope that's intrinsic and um you know without that i think it's almost just like a a trauma dump and that's not fair yeah 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 um, you gotta have that you you've gotta have that way of getting yourself out of your own head it's good for me to just not hyperanalyze the past or fear the future like oh shit this did this kind of shit happened oh my god what's gonna happen tomorrow like yeah. There, there is hope that you know. There's got to be a level of freak out about. Yeah, but, there, there yeah. is, but you Choose got, you to. got, but, but the positive outlook of that is that we got through the shit and the, the fucked up shit in the past, and now here we are. Let's not worry about it because having confidence in one's own self and knowing one's own self allows you to have a hopefulness. Yeah, you know, for sure. Like I think, like, yeah, like making it through hard 
times or you know like adversities as we always jokingly talk about tour like <laughs> adversities yeah. um uh and then seeing like okay I, I was able to make through that that confidence that you get from that like hope springs from that you know and the ability to like and that gives you like further ability to i mean it goes back to like whatever won't kill you makes you stronger like i know that's like the oldest was sure. put out well but it's a divertive it. it's it's kind of what we've been talking what i was talking about yeah but it's like you know i feel like it's sort of it it's it is that because it's like you know it, most mostly it's mostly true and um, yeah well it makes you stronger because it gives you the knowledge that you can get through the bad shit you're more prepared really you know you're yeah. like yeah mentally confident yeah, you have that, like, maybe that's what, maybe that's kind of what wisdom is, but. Well, you develop a reserve of knowledge that you know that, okay, this is some bad shit. This is what I have to do to get through this and I'm going to get through it and I'll be okay on the other side because it's happened before. Right. You know. And if it hasn't happened to you before. Well, then you're fucked. No. <laughs> yeah. No. No, that, I think seek that's music plays in. Yeah. Well, that's – yeah. music plays because in like, for everything, though, I think. but Yeah, because for me, like, I've been through some things where, like, I was like, I don't know what's going on. But music – songs have gotten me through, you know, and, and the people around me have gotten me through. But, yeah, like, I think, you know, gaining, gaining confidence in yourself through, like, the stuff you go through. But, you know, yeah. I think you can even argue that, like uh, – not to argue – not – I mean, you could even say that, like – you know, defeats and failure are things that like, you know, like I didn't, this, this beat me up or whatever, or this wrecked me, but it didn't kill me. Like I'm still here. Right. Like I'm like, you know, there's even hope in that, like, you know, making it through whether or not it feels like you triumphed over something or you got completely wrecked by it, but you, and you're like, you know, you got rolled. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's know, also like, kind of part of a decision-making process that one kind of adopts, right. And understanding what that looks like for each individual. Like, I'm a fucking idiot that goes to, like, disaster. Don't go to disaster, dude. Stop catastrophizing everything. It didn't fucking happen the other 10 times that you thought something bad shit was going to happen. But you freaked out because, you know, you know, settle down, pump the fucking brakes. You're going to get through this as well. Don't catastrophize. Yeah, I know. It's that self. It's that sort of self-talk. Like, And I, I think we all, everybody struggles with that. It's like... But, um, yeah, you guys got to self-talk, self-talk, man, self-talk. Um, great stuff, Justin, man. Thanks for having a chat, man. This has been fucking yeah, man, brilliant. I appreciate you. This has been a really fun conversation. I, I, pre, I appreciate you sort of like, I don't know, letting me share my, my story. A bit. Oh man, my pleasure, dude. Thanks for, thanks for sharing the questions and stuff too. It's been really a, a joy to, to chat. Well, I knew it was going to be cool. Uh, I talked with you briefly after, uh, like in 2018 in Lincoln hall, I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember that. No, come on. Fuck you. You do not remember that. No, no I do. I was like, where do I remember you from? Oh, okay. And that, yeah, yeah, I do. It was like, but it was at Lincoln hall. Like, was it backstage or was it? No, like, it wasn't. Was well, it's in the, you know, they have that nice little bar thing in the front. And so like near yeah. the merch and everything. And you just kind of came out. I think you had some family there. I think I kind of yeah, remember. I that, that was right before the pandemic. Oh, happened. was it 2019? Was, was it late 2019? It was early 2020. It was when Jenna was still in the band. Oh, Jenna was still in the band. Okay. You know, actually, so that was that would have been probably our first headline show at uh, Lincoln Hall. That was probably 2018. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so you, all right. Yeah. I mean, who can forget me, man? Come on. No, I, I remembered your face. I remember we met before, like, and and 
now I can picture being. I should have. Of- I could have said this up at the beginning, but I just did. I figured you wouldn't. No, it's cool. Yet. I'm glad we get to reconnect. No, we're going to be our next show. I know. Is Lincoln. Halloween fucking show, and I think I'm going to be in town. So let's let's nice. fucking, let's fucking hang, man. Yeah, we're going to be around. We're getting in like we're getting in the day of the show. Okay. We're getting in fairly early, and it's going to be a blast. So hit me up. We're going to be uh, maybe this time we'll hang out backstage. All right, and, that'll be uh, great. I'll um yeah. I'll connect. I'll try to I'll try to connect with you. Shoot shoot an email to the publicist or something like that, and we'll get connected. Yeah, they'll give you my digits. It's uh he will. You got to tell them to then, because <laughs> you know how that all that that shit all yeah. works, man. They're like, no, we don't. They're not giving it anyway. Great chatting they're with you, brother. They know I've been through a lot. <laughs> What's that? They protect me. They know I've been through a lot. So. <laughs> exactly that crazy podcaster guy. <laughs> Keep them away from me. But no, you're going on a big tour south, Midwest. What Midwest, East Coast. Yeah, Southeast that's so uh in uh starting on Halloween and going through all the way through the end of December. Big show at the poorhouse yeah. at the end, yes, towards so the end. We're do- we're doing like um full band stuff for like the Halloween show in Chicago, mm-hmm. like through like early December. And that's sort of like you said, Midwest, Northeast, and Southeast. And then I'm doing this uh a few shows in December, including the poorhouse in Charleston, uh Susto String Band. Oh, cool. Um so when I was living in Asheville, I was just sort of hanging out with a lot of different musicians and there's an incredible like old time and bluegrass scene there. Yeah. And became friends with these guys in the band called Holler Choir. Right. And so they are opening the shows and then also backing me. And so we're going to do like Susto songs, but like with a string band. So I it'll fucking be, love uh, that, man. I love the, like the acoustic yeah. stuff, talking about the songs, doing acoustic versions, just different shit to present. Yeah, the stuff. Like to keep it, it keeps you, you know, well, it keeps like, it interesting for you. You mean for you? Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Like for everyone. And, and also, like it's a win-win. This <laughs> play, you know, it's like it's cool. It's like okay, I've seen them play a lot, and the lineup does revolve. So like you, if you've seen Susto over the years, you've probably seen different iterations. Uh-huh. But like, um, you know, just this is a completely you know sort of a different approach, and cool. I think that's gonna be really fun. We've done and one just those show two. It's just the two at the end at the poorhouse, and then in Asheville. Well, there's actually, there's two that haven't been announced yet, but I'm announcing them like today. So like we're playing in Charleston, South Carolina on December 6th. Then we're playing in Asheville, North Carolina on December 8th, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina on December 15th, and then Raleigh, North Carolina on New Year's Eve. Okay. So, so well, by the time this comes out, the Charlotte and the Raleigh ones will be already have been announced. So those are, yeah, yeah, for sure. Cool. 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 Great, man. Well, I look forward to seeing you end of the month. Let's definitely connect. Yeah, Josh. Thanks. Uh, I'm excited. We're excited to be in Chicago and I'm excited to see you in person. Thanks again for chatting, man. It's oh, man. It was my pleasure, dude. Peace. That was awesome. Thanks. Okay. That was me talking to Justin Osborne of Susto. Uh, such a fun conversation that I had with him. And, uh, you know, we kind of overlap in some of the history of our lives, you know, studying abroad and having an interest in other cultures. You know, I lived in Italy for quite a bit. And uh, Justin also lived in Cuba, which I found really interesting and sort of dovetails into the Mexico connection with one of his band members. And they recorded uh, a couple songs down in Mexico during the pandemic. And that was a, a great story as well. But his the live shows are really, really great. And uh, his true personality really comes out during those shows. You know, he doesn't filter himself. He lives by sort of an ethos of vulnerability. You know, I, I, the the one story that I really enjoyed when he talked about how uh, he'd bring songs to his band members and they're telling him to like put more out there. 
that kind of, they know what's going on in his life and he wasn't really touching upon all that. Um, uh, which was interesting because I've also talked to some band members and, uh, you know, other artists that bring stuff to them or to their, uh, to their collaborators or band members. And they're like, whoa, tone it down, <laughs> which is not the case uh, with Justin at all. His band members are telling them, we know what's going on. Put more in there, dude. And uh, Justin's talked about how songwriting is really his therapy. And that's quite evident when you listen to Susto and you learn more about Justin. I had met him originally back in 2018 at Lincoln Hall, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, and that was really instrumental. He was so kind to me, and we had such a nice conversation at that time. It was before I had started Roadcase, and I'm really grateful for Justin for uh, talking with me and making that connection with me uh, that we still have to date and really uh, really reignited that conversation, and this interview really uh, made me think about what a, what a great guy he is and kind of how instrumental he was in my development as a podcaster in this business. So I really thank Justin for all of that. Um, his Latin, the Latin influence with Cuba was just um, such an instrumental part of his, of his songwriting and that influence there. And uh, interesting to talk to him about how he reconciles his religious upbringing and relationships with his family today, um, especially with his mom. And it's great to hear that he's got a, a good relationship with them. I mean, despite the fact that they think he's going to hell. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of joking about that, but that's got to be a difficult thing. And we talked about that quite a bit. Um, and Justin, of course, talked about sort of uh, microdosing and his experience with LSD and psychedelics, which is uh, uh, really a hallmark of what Justin Osborne has been all about. And his openness with that is really also very striking and speaks to the core of his own personality and ethos. Thanks again for being here for this episode. Uh, and uh, so glad to have you along for this one. Uh, really appreciate all your support and so glad to be back with these long form interviews for uh, the near term future. So happy to be here. And I want to send a special thank you to Justin Osborne of Susto, uh, who has been an inspiration to me and just a really superhuman. So thanks again, Justin, for being here on this episode of Roadcase. Thanks again so much for listening. And I'd like to encourage everyone to get involved with Roadcase. You can do so in a number of different ways. You can email me at info at roadcasepod.com with questions, comments, and even suggestions for guests. Or you can follow us on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at roadcasepod. And we have a YouTube channel called Roadcase Podcast. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if you could please rate and review the podcast while you're there, that would be great. So I want to thank Waltzer for this awesome theme music that we have. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to Roadcase. We have a lot of great episodes coming up, so I'll see you on down the road. <laughs>